Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Ladies and gentlemen, last week we announced that we were doing a three-part series on blockchain and we covered part one last week. Uh, this week, of course, is going to be part two. And then next week will be part three. So let's do a quick recap. Uh, we, last week, we, we talked about a few things. Um, and our agenda is that we want to give you an overview of th the session that, we're that we've been doing over the last, this last week and this week and next week. Uh, we did an exercise, the SWOT analysis, and I'm very curious to see how many of you uh, did the SWOT analysis and if you have any questions. Again, if you have any questions, uh, we can uh, help you with that. Just give us a, a call at 973-454-3475 or send me an email at d.gunter at guntermediagroup.com. And uh, we went over uh, some technology and history. Uh, we talked about how some new technology came in and displaced some other companies. We talked about Bloomberg re displacing Tellerate. And then, of course, we talked about Netflix displacing uh, blockchain, but also uh, Netflix uh, taking on HBO and, and the other pro uh, cable providers. <clears throat> And then we got into the five uh, W's and we talked about the what and the when. And um, so today we're going to continue on in our discussion. And um, again, if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to give me a call at 973-454-3475. And if you're calling outside of the United States, uh, please be sure to add the, the plus one. And so, again, when we talked about what is blockchain, we talked about the structure of, of blockchain, and we talked about the blocks of information and how they hold batches of valid transactions. And um, it's encoded into what we call a Merkle tree. And, of course, each block includes the cryptographic hash of the prior block in the blockchain. <clears throat> the link blocks, this is what forms the chain. Uh, this iterative process confirms the integrity of the previous block all the way back to the original Genesis block. And this is where security is maintained within this distributed ledger. So let's say that we have 20 miners around the world that are participating and being the, the validators of this, this, this particular blockchain. And then someone, uh, like say number 21, someone that we really don't know, uh, wants to add in some new information. Well, in order for this individual to be able to add in information, he would actually have to go back to the first hash, the first block. So let's say if there was 10, he would have to go back to each one of those and then update the information. And then that information has to be verified by each of the miners. Now, if this person turns out to be a bad actor and tries to put in some erroneous information, 
the other miners will not validate that, that hash of information. And then that particular miner is put into what we call the penalty box. And so he will not be what we call a, a, trusted, uh, a trusted actor. And we talked about block time. Uh, the block time is the average time it takes for the network to generate one extra block in the blockchain. And we talked about some blockchains create a new block as frequently as every five seconds. By the time of the block completion, the included data becomes verifiable. And especially in cryptocurrency, this is practically when the transaction takes place. So a shorter block time means faster transaction. For example, uh, for Ethereum, the average block time is between 14 and 15 seconds, while for Bitcoin, um, it's, it's 10 minutes. And we talked about hard forks, uh, which, which is very important. And hard forks is, is, is a rule change such that the software is validating according to the old rules. We'll see the blocks produced according to the new rules as invalid. In the case of a hard fork, all nodes that are meant to work in accordance with the new rules need to upgrade their software. So if one group of nodes continue to, continues to use the old software while the other nodes use the new software, this is when a split can occur. For example, Ethereum has hard forked to make whole the investors in the, the DAO, which had been hacked by exploiting a vulnerability in its code. In this case, the fork resulted in a split creating Ethereum and Ethereum classic chains. So then in 2014, the next community was asked to consider a hard fork that would have led to a rollback of the blockchain records to mitigate the effects of a theft of 50 million NXT from a major cryptocurrency exchange. The hard fork proposal was rejected and some of the funds were recovered after negotiations and ransom payment. Alternatively, to prevent a permanent split, a majority of nodes using the new software may return to the old rules as was the case of the Bitcoin split on March 12th of 2013. Again, if you'd like to have a copy of this paper that I've written, which I'm presenting, again, just give me a text message, 973-454-3475, or send me an email at d.gunter at guntermediagroup.com. So, Let's talk about decentralization. So when we think of decentralization, we're talking about storing data across its peer-to-peer -peer network. The blockchain eliminates a number of risks that come with data being held centrally. So imagine that you have 20 miners, and that's M-I-N-E-R-S, miners, or these are the people who are trusted actors who validate the, the hash of blocks. Imagine that these 20 miners were all across the world on every continent. And so this is what we call 
distributed networking. It's a peer-to-peer -peer blockchain network. It lacks centralized points of vulnerability that computer crackers can exploit. Likewise, it has no central point of failure. Blockchain security methods include the use of a public key cryptography. So when you think about a public key, it's a long random looking string of numbers, and it is actually the address on the blockchain. Value tokens sent across the network are recorded as belonging to that address. A private key is like a password that gives its owner access to their digital assets or the means to otherwise interact with the various capabilities that blockchains now support. Data stored on the blockchain is generally considered incorruptible. Allow me to repeat that. Data stored on the blockchain is generally considered incorruptible. Every node in a decentralized system has a copy of the blockchain. Data quality is maintained by a massive database replication and computational trust. No centralized official copy exists and no user is trusted more than any other. Transactions are broadcast to the network using software. Messages are delivered on a best effort basis. Mining nodes validate the transactions, add them back to the block that they are building, and then broadcast the completed block to other nodes. Blockchains use various time stamping schemes such as proof of work to serialize changes. Alternate consensus methods include proof of stake. Growth of a decentralized blockchain is accompanied by the risk of node centralization because the computer resources required to process larger amounts of data become more expensive. Let's talk about openness. Open blockchains are more user-friendly than some traditional ownership records, which, while open to the public, still require a physical address to view. Because all early blockchains were permissionless, controversy has arisen over the blockchain definition. An issue in this ongoing debate is whether a private system with verifiers tasked and authorized, permissioned by central authority should be considered a blockchain. Proponents of permissioned or private chains argue that the term blockchain may be applied to any data structure that batches data into a timestamp blocks. These blockchains serve as a distributed version of multi-version concurrency control, known as the MVCC, which is the multi-version concurrency control in databases. Just as MVCC prevents two transactions from concurrently modifying a single object in a database, blockchains prevent two transactions from spending the same single output in a blockchain. Opponents say that permission systems resemble traditional corporate databases, not supporting decentralized data verification, and that such systems 
are not hardened against oper operator tampering and revision. Nikolai Hampton of Computer World said that many in-house blockchain solutions will be nothing more than cumbersome databases. And without a clear security model, a proprietary blockchain should be eyed with suspicion. So let's talk about permissionless. The great advantage to an open, permissionless, or public blockchain network is that guarding against bad actors is not required and no access control is needed. This means that applications can be added to the network without the approval or trust of others using the blockchain as a transport layer. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies currently secure their blockchain by requiring new entries to include proof of work. To prolong the blockchain, Bitcoin uses Hashcash puzzles. While Hashcash was designed in 1997 by Mr. Adam Back, the original idea was first proposed by Cynthia Dwork and Moni Naur and Ellie Ponyatopskowski in their 1992 paper titled Pricing via Processing or Combating Junk Mail. Financial companies have not prioritized decentralized blockchains. In 2016, venture capital investment for blockchain-related projects was weakening in the US, but increasing in China. Bitcoin and many other cryptocurrencies use open public blockchains. As of April 2018, Bitcoin has the highest market capitalization. And so when we think about a distributed ledger, permission blockchains use an access control layer to govern who has access to the network. Again, let me read that. Permission blockchains use an access control layer to govern who has access to the network. In contrast to a public blockchain networks, validators on a private blockchain networks are vetted by the network owner. They do not rely on anonymous nodes to validate transaction, nor do they benefit from the network effect. Permission blockchains can also go by the name of consortium or hybrid blockchains. The New York Times noted in both 2016 and 2017 that many corporations are using blockchain networks with private blockchains independent of the public system. So what are the disadvantages of a private blockchain? Nikolai Hampton pointed out in Computer World that there is no need for a 51% attack on a private blockchain as the private blockchain most likely already controls 100% of all block creation resources. If you could attack or damage the blockchain creation tools on a private corporate server, you could effectively control 100% of their network and alter transactions however you wished. This has a set of particularly profound adverse implications during a financial crisis or debt crisis 
like the financial crisis of 2007 to 2008, where politically powerful actors may make decisions that favor some groups at the expense of others. And the Bitcoin blockchain is protected by the massive group mining effort. It's unlikely that any private blockchain will try to protect records using gigawatts of computing power. We'll try to protect records of, of computing power. It's time consuming and it is expensive. He also said that within a private blockchain, there's also no race. There's no incentive to use more power or discover blocks faster than competitors. This means that many in-house blockchain solutions will be nothing more than cumbersome databases. So let's talk about some of the uses of the blockchain technology. Blockchain technology can be integrated into multiple areas. The primary use of blockchains today is as a distributed ledger of, for cryptocurrencies, most notably Bitcoin. There are a few operational products maturing from proof of concept by late 2016. As of 2016, some observers remain skeptical. Steve Wilson of Constellation Research believes the technology has been hyped with unrealistic claims. To mitigate the risk, businesses are reluctant to place blockchain at the core of their business structure. So now we're going to get into some use cases. Who has heard of smart contracts? Blockchain-based smart contracts are proposed contracts that could be one partially or fully executed or enforced without any human interaction. One of the main objectives of a smart contract is to automate escrow. For example, an IMS staff discussion reported that smart contracts based on blockchain technology might reduce moral hazards and optimize the use of contracts in general. But no viable smart contract systems have yet emerged. Stay tuned. Due to the lack of widespread use of their legal status, it is currently unclear. Let's talk about banks. Major portions of the financial industry are implementing a distributed ledgers for use in banking. And according to a September 2016 IBM study, this is occurring faster than expected. Banks are interested in this technology because it has potential to spread to speed up the back office settlement systems. Banks such as UBS are opening new research labs dedicated to blockchain technology in order to explore how blockchain can be used in financial services to increase the efficiency and reduce costs. Berenberg, a German bank, believes that blockchain is an overhyped technology that has a large number of proof of concepts, but still has major challenges and few, very few success stories. So when we think about when did blockchain start? Again, we talked about blockchain was invented by a group or a person called Satoshi Nakamoto in 2008 to serve as a public transaction ledger of the cryptocurrency Bitcoin. The invention of the blockchain for Bitcoin made it the first digital currency 
to solve the double spending problem without the need of a trusted authority or central server. The Bitcoin design has inspired other applications and this information can be easily found on uh, Wikipedia. Just look up blockchain. And so when you, when you think about, well, where did blockchain start? That's a good question. We don't know how many people started blockchain or where they are located because blockchain is this anonymous distributed network. People can be anywhere. And so when you think about, well, why did blockchain start? Why did Satoshi Nakamoto or this group called Satoshi Nakamoto start blockchain? Well, initially blockchain was developed to serve as the public transaction ledger of the cryptocurrency Bitcoin. The invention of the, of the blockchain for Bitcoin made it the first digital currency, again, to solve this double spending problem without the need of the trusted authority or central server. Now, this Bitcoin design has inspired other applications. And so when you think about how is blockchain being used, blockchain is being used for asset management, insurance claims processing, cross-border payments, smart property, and the internet of things, among others. So what we are going to do now is that we're going to introduce some case studies so that you can see the realness of this technology and how this technology will play a role in the business that you're involved in. And so the first case study that we're going to talk about is smart contracts. Smart contracts are digital, which are embedded with an if this, then that code. Again, it's embedded with this if this, then that code, which gives them self-execution. In real life, an intermediary ensures that all parties follow through on the terms. The blockchain not only waives the need for third parties, but also ensures that all ledger participants know the contract details and that contractual terms implement automatically once conditions are met. You can use smart contracts for all sorts of situations, such as financial derivatives, insurance premiums, property law, crowdfunding agreements, et cetera, et cetera. But let me give you a very real example. So last year, my wife and I, we, we sold our home in South Orange and we acquired a home in Ambler, Pennsylvania, which required us to have two different agreements with two sets of groups. So let's talk about the first group. So we're the seller in South Orange and we had a buyer. And so everything was done. Um, with paper contracts and some things took a little bit of time because the lawyer was waiting uh, for some information for a deposit and then there were inspections that needed to happen. And fortunately for us, it required a lot of back and forth, a lot of phone calls. But imagine if we were using blockchain with a smart contract and it says that Couple A is selling their home to couple B at this particular price. And then once that agreement is signed, then there's a number of steps 
that will be put in place, such as putting money in escrow. And that was done in old ways to do it manually. Somebody mails a check or hands a check, whereas you can actually have electronic wire transfers to to occur once the two parties have have, uh, authorized their signatures on this agreement. And such as if there were inspections or if there were other details that needed to be completed by either the, 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 the seller or the buyer, all of those things will be maintained in this master distributed network, in this master ledger, if you will. And it, it eliminates the guesswork and it also eliminates human error. We're, we're all human and um, we're going to make a mistake here or there. But if the smart contract is well-defined with the if this, then that code, um, it, 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 it will work out very much so. Now, let's, let's look at another example. We'll have another example where we're talking about um, you might have two people who are involved in a car accident. And with the car accident, of course, there's paperwork that needs to be filed by both parties. Um, if, and if there's a police report involved, that's, a, that's a, another third party. And so once everyone understands what role everyone played in that unfortunate car accident, then um, folks' medical bills can be paid, um, cars can be repaired, and everything is, is handled uh, in a much more efficient and effective way. We're not talking about eliminating people we're just helping people to be more, more productive. And so when we think about um, other areas where a smart contract um, makes sense, um, you can think about a smart contract for a professional athlete where they have those different bonus clauses uh, based upon performance. And imagine where an athlete, if, 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 if they hit a particular type of statistics, that once they hit those statistics, the particular bonus kicks in, and then that money is automatically wired um, to the agent, and the agent takes their fee, and then the athlete gets their money, and the money's not being held up. So there are a lot of benefits and uses uh, when you think about uh, a smart contract. Let's think about music. This is going to be our our... our last case study for this week, and we have a, we have a couple more for next week. Um, when you think about blockchain for music, some of the key problems in the music industry include ownership rights, royalty distribution, and transparency. The digital music industry focuses on monetizing production, while ownership rights are often overlooked. The blockchain and smart contracts technology can circuit this problem by creating a comprehensive and accurate decentralized database of music rights. At the same time, the ledger and provide transparent transmission of artist royalties and real-time distributions to all involved with the labels. Players would be played with digital currency according to the specified terms of of their agreement if they they wanted to be paid in, in some particular type of cryptocurrency or fiat capital. So when you when you think about the the streaming industry, the streaming music industry, it's it's catching up, if you will, with the old technology, 
by making payments to artists from a few years ago. And so the artists have actually lost the value, the time value of that money because of that. However, with blockchain, they will be able to receive the correct payment for their service, for, for their music when it's played, which is, which, which is a beautiful thing. At the same time, there will be transparency in regards to production costs. If they're, if they're working through a record label, they'll be able to know exactly what type of production bill that, that, they're, that they're running and they can make some decisions about maybe cutting back on some of their production or some of their other expenses. So today we, we, we talked about the details of the blockchain currency. We talked about um, the various different uh, types of blockchains, whether they're permissionless or permission or, or private. And one of the other things that we, we didn't talk about that I will make sure I talk about next week is to talk about uh, when, when two parties can go what we call off chain, meaning that um, it's a smart contract, let's say to purchase an automobile, but then they go off chain to, to do their negotiation. And then once they agree to a, a particular price, they come uh, back on chain. So, ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've enjoyed this part two. I hope that you have gained some value out of understanding the complexities of blockchain. My goal is to try to make it simple. Again, if you'd like to have more information, you can text me at 973-454-3475. You can also call me or you can send me an email at d.gunter at guntermediagroup.com. Com. And if you missed any of this broadcast, uh, you can catch it on our podcast, which is on iTunes at iTunes. Uh, look for Seton Hall University. Look for Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter. And there you'll see our 240 some shows. Um, but you'll see the blockchain part one and blockchain part two. So next week, blockchain part three is coming up. I want to thank you for your time this weekend. I want to wish you and your loved ones a very good weekend. But remember, leadership begins with you. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership with Darrell W. Gunter on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net.